Hi everybody, this is Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 30. Happy Halloween! That's like way too cheerful for a Halloween episode. Happy Halloween! <laughs> we, we gotta go try and spooky. Okay, that's just creepy. Creepy's close to spooky. Uh, okay, so this is our big, well, our first big Halloween episode. But before we do that, we have one quick announcement and two quick shout-outs. Well, remember how last time I was talking about how crappy that Sinestro Corps neon sign thing was? I do. For being like 90 bucks and it was just a yellow Green Lantern emblem? Well, apparently that was just promo art or whatever, so it was just a mock-up, and they have the solicitations for... Actually, I don't know when this comes out. Yes, I do. It comes out on June, June 9th. It's the finished version of this thing, and it it is the Sinestro Core emblem, so... may have been a little hasty with my uh, criticisms of it, but you know, I can only work with what they give me. It's still going to be 90 bucks for something that's 9 inches wide and 8 inches high, though. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's still warranted. They do have a new ring prop, though, like, directly under. I'm looking at the new Zorama solicits. Oh, yes. I I mean, admittedly, it's a nice-looking ring. It was very well sculpted and everything. I even like the, the shade of green they have for the center. And it, it, it the color-wise, it looks nice. But... It's still, it's a freaking silver, and it is made out of metal. So that's good, too. But they just couldn't color it green. They had to leave it silver with, like, a dot of green in the center. Well, my, my issue with that is they're calling it the Honor Guard ring prop. Which, yeah. Like, first off, it's not a prop because it's silver. I mean, that's not a, you know, that's not a replica of any sort. And... You know, on top of that, like, they say that it's not meant to be worn, which, if you're buying this, most people are going to wear it. And it's, uh, you know, it only comes in a size 11. And it's not even silver. It's, like, silver metal. So, basically, that's like, yeah, whatever metal we had lying around that was silverish in shade. It's like we had some brass and we painted it. Now, I've you've told me this before. When they say not intended to be worn, that's just because the paint or whatever might rub off on you or something. Yeah, yeah, actually, like, the the props, the ring props that they've come out with in the past, which they, you know, they come with a bust or whatever, or the uh, Planet Krypton ring set, when they say that that is not meant to be worn, that's because they don't want you to, you know, chip the paint or get it all banged up or whatever, because it is, you know, part of the statue. But... By the same token, if you wear one of those rings, you're probably going to be better off than wearing this ring because this is silver metal. This is probably something that's going to be able to get tarnished very easily. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about the paint getting chipped, but you'll just have to worry about it getting discolored from tarnish. This is like the exact opposite direction from where they were going with those uh, Lantern Corps giveaway rings. This is basically like a nicer version of the ring that they were selling for, I don't know, was it 20 bucks or whatever, that, that actually were intended to be worn and came in various sizes. Is that the one you have that you wore to New York? Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> well, okay then. Yeah, well, it's nothing against you as a consumer or anything, but I don't know. They got it, it, They keep getting so close, but not... And it's 35 bucks. And it's at least two sizes too small for me. So You got giant ham fingers there. <laughs> Our Halloween episode rocks. <laughs> yeah. We already went too long on this stuff. Okay. So now my my uh, little piece of whatever. I went to the Big Apple Comic Convention. Uh, I guess when you guys listen to this, it'll be the previous weekend or so. The weekend before last. And while I'm not going to be getting into that right now, because this is our Halloween episode, I do want to give two quick shout-outs. Um, I met two listeners of ours 
Uh, one of them I didn't have the foresight to get the name of. Ah. Uh. Yeah, so, hi, and it was actually a female. So that, that kind of... You were probably stumbling over yourself with embarrassment and shame. It's like, girl? <laughs> Not at all, because basically Lauren was just, uh, you know, she was the one that was going after most of the, the Green Lantern fans out there, giving out business cards and stuff. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, shout out to you. Thank you for listening, and it was cool to meet you. And then the other person that I met was uh, Murdy... And I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, but it's like Hoy or something. I hear he makes great cake. I hear his fiance makes great cakes, or his girlfriend. I hear his his lady makes great cakes. I well, he, he, the point is he's associated with quality cake. That's that's what you should take away from this. Yes, and we await pictures on said cake. Yes. So, it was awesome meeting you, Marty, and uh, we'll have more details on the convention next week. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> also, yeah, like like I was hinting at, um, yeah, my fiance Lauren, she really handed out a bunch of business cards, and she was really, she was the go-getter at this convention as far as getting business cards in people's hands. So, thank you, honey. She's apparently the only one doing any work. Hey. You know, uh, okay, hey. so, what? yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 nothing, 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 nothing. <laughs> uh, and now let's, uh, let's head right into our, our big giant Halloween discussion. Yes, this is from one of my favorite series, Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. This, uh, particular issue, number seven, came out in 1993, this is this is series wrapped up right before Emerald Twilight, so right before Kyle Rayner showed up for the first time and the core fell and how it went nuts and all that. And they actually they gave us a Halloween issue, which you know if you're not familiar with the book, it's an anthology title. It's got what three stories about random alien Green Lanterns by different creators, and it's kind of strung together by, like, a, well, I guess bookended by an Alan Scott story. Let's see, where do you want to start? Do you want to kind of talk about the entire Alan Scott story together? I don't, I don't even think we need to do that. I think we can split it up and actually use that as the bookend for the discussion. Okay. So, yeah, so now, I guess I have actually read some of this in the past, but I haven't read the whole thing. So you suggested this, and, you know, I was basically like, yeah, okay, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll do that Halloween issue for Halloween. Because I was never a, a huge reader of the Green Lantern Corps quarterly series. Bastard. Yeah, I've read some stories here and there, like, kind of randomly. But um, I haven't read the whole thing yet. So, basically, as soon as this starts, it's just like, oh, my God, like, this is, like, such a great issue to be covering as Blackest Night is going on. I assume you, you noticed Quill on, like, page one. Yeah. <laughs> killing a guardian. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm, like, looking, I'm like, oh, that, this, that looks familiar. And then I'm, like, reading, and it's like, oh, my God. This is them telling the story of the creation of the Starheart. Yeah, it takes place, like, like the initial three pages... Is kind of a, it's it's roundabout and it's abridged at the same time. It's like, it's taking like a long overview of how we eventually got the Alan Scott Green Lantern, but it's a really brief summary. It's just like it's it's giving you you know the history of the Guardians. It's showing them before they eventually became the little like gnome Smurfs, <laughs> where they're like. They're all, like, warrior-like, and they're going around dealing out justice on their own instead of sending people to do it for them. Now, I, I guess we should probably give a rundown of what actually happens in this origin. You basically have the the Guardians themselves, like Dan said, before they're all shrunken and shriveled up, fighting to contain all the random magic in the universe. And one of the places that they're containing magic is Ysmalt, 
to kind of like combat the Empire of Tears, which plays pretty prevalent in uh, the Red Lantern course. Oh, God, yeah. They finally succeed creating a, a much more orderly universe, and they lock all of this, you know, mystical, magical energy into a star. And they call it the Star Heart, and it's kind of like flying around the universe. And it's kind of like also gaining sentience. Now, at some point along the way, the Star Heart, like a part of it breaks off, kind of like a benevolent portion, like the good portion, and merges with the essence of Yalin Gur, who was the, the dragon Green Lantern member that uh, they chained, the Guardians changed his weakness to wood so that the ancient Chinese people could rise up against him because he was subjugating them. And we've gone over this in the past on previous episodes of the Lantern Cast, but uh, he was kind of like dying in space, like flying away from Earth. The Starheart merged with him and crash landed on Earth, and that meteorite, like, they used to build the lamp, which eventually became, you know, the power source for Alan Scott. I really like the fact that, you know, the Guardians made no distinction, you know? Magic is chaotic, so magic's bad. Because, like, they're running down the list on the first page of the different worlds they took out and what those worlds can do and what those people can do. Right. And you you had some violent ones, but the last one they mentioned was um the shamans of, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Ashmel who cured illness with feathery caresses. Like, they, they took out people who use magic to cure people's diseases. Yeah. Just because they were magic. Yeah, I, I, I still can't get over the fact that, like, right here, it's it's a major appearance. It's the Empire of Tears, and you're small. And, I don't know, I guess this is something that not a lot of people have picked up on or something, because, you know, this is the kind of thing that I think more people would want to, you know, witness i know and something that i thought was kind of interesting was how like in this description of the star hearts origin it, it in the in a way it kind of parallels what we've seen with the emotional spectrum entities where if you get enough of a certain kind of energy in one spot for long enough it'll eventually become self-aware right like like over time the star heart kind of became a parallax or ion-like entity before there was ever, well, in continuity before there was ever parallax or ion. Now, the idea that only part of the star heart broke off to create the power source for Alan Scott. Now, in, in, uh, I think it was the third series of Green Lantern, issue 19, where they had the big anniversary issue and they explained how, well, they basically, for the first time, talked about Yalin Gur. Did they mention at that point that it was only a part of the Star Heart? I think so. That's how I've always understood it. I always thought it was the like the whole Star Heart that merged. No, I mean, if it if it was anything more than just a piece of it, I think like like the Guardians would have gone off after it or sent like an army to get it back. An interesting point. You know, we go from uh, from that opening to Jade and Obsidian, the children of Alan Scott, trick-or-treating on Alan Scott's door when they realize that he's been de-aged. <laughs> I love his door knocker. It's like his symbol in 3D, or his original symbol. Now, one thing that I thought was funny was that this is like right after he took on the new uh, costume, but if you look like in like two panels... Right, he keeps his his battery, his his power lantern on an end table, and right in front of it is a bowl of purple candy. Huh. Nice little uh, throwback to his his old costume. I just like how he nonchalantly keeps it by the candy dish. <laughs> oh, raisin! Oh, limitless magical energy! <laughs> Somebody comes over. Hey, what's that thing? What's that thing? Shut up! That's what it is. Have some candy. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you what it is, or would you rather have some candy? Oh, I think I'll take the candy. They bring in Torquemada, the the magical uh, Green Lantern, and they have to go and kind of take care of some loose random energy flying through the cosmos. 
he's you know Tor- Torquemada has shown up a bunch. He's been in that uh he's been in a lot of crowd shots. I know he was in the Agent Orange story arc. He he was in that uh twelve issue Ion story, but we won't hold that against him. He was in that in like issue two or three or something. Oh, one of those issues. Oh yeah, one of those. <laughs> And it's cool because he's it, like they're doing a Halloween story. So who do they bring in? They bring in the one member of the Green Lantern Corps that deals directly with the occult, and they have him go after the one Green Lant other Green Lantern who's powered entirely by magic. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a little weird that Alan flat out forbade Jenny and Todd from helping him, even though he's fine with them going out and being superheroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that you risk your lives every day to save people, but this, this I have a feeling is way out of your leagues. It's like, heh, call me when you get into the JLA, kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright, so, let's get into what I think, what I would call the, uh, the main feature of this thing. Cause it's, 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 it's the cover, I mean, it's like... This is your, uh, this is your favorite part, this one? Um... I think so. I think so. Okay. I mean, it had some ooh, moments to it, but I think like this this one holds up really well. This is this is the first appearance of Ash, the vampire hunting Green Lantern, who you know if you were reading a the Green Lantern Green Lantern core stuff leading up to Blackest Night, you've seen this guy before. Mm-hmm. Um. So we got, we open on like this, and this one, we should say, it was written by Ron Mars with art by Tony Harris. And it opens up on this, this scene, this kind of horror movie scene of this, like, this woman who's, you know, she's walking home alone in the dead of night, even though it's like a really bad area. She takes a wrong turn and is boxed in by, you know, a trio of space vampires. And... Which are, you know, the same as regular vampires, but, you know, in space. And they're about to eat her when Ash shows up. He's being all badass, telling them, you know, leave her alone. Get away from her now. And the vampires he's looking at, he recognizes one of them as the guy who killed his wife. Like, years ago. Years ago, like, when he had a full head of hair years ago. And now thoroughly pissed off, Ash just starts killing vampires left and right. He gets cocky. His ring finger and, like, one or two other fingers get chopped off. But, you know, that that turns out to not slow him down at all. <laughs> I, I gotta think I would be a little taken aback by it. And he finally gets... Here, in his first appearance, he finally fulfills his vengeance mission and, you know, avenges his wife by killing the vampire who killed her. And what I thought was really cool, something I've forgotten, is that after he's done killing this group of vampires, he's done. As far as he's concerned, his his thing is over. But the chick he saved is is telling him, you know, if you don't keep helping people, who will? This is what you do. You gotta do this. And it ends on a kind of somber note. <laughs> you can never stop. What'd you think? Oh, I, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was a great story. I like how, you know, the the thing that, you know, you, you almost can wonder a little, like, uh, well, how does he know that it's the vampire that killed his wife? You know, maybe it just looks very similar and the actual one is out there. But, like, the fact of the matter is, this one looks exactly like that guy. He burned his image in his brain. And not to mention, he's also carrying the, uh, like, the wedding necklace thing. That he had gotten for his wife. And plus the vampire says, oh yeah, you were that farmer. <laughs> yeah. Because that's another thing. Ash started out as, like, just a regular farmer who, you know, tragedy took him in this weird direction. Yeah. I kind of wonder if, like, he was purple when he was a farmer. I was thinking that too, but I think it was just the lighting, because... Alright, in the flashback, I kind of I kind of glazed over this because like when he sees the vampire, he has a flashback to his wife's death, and he describe and it's in the art and he describes it too, how he returned home to see, you know, everything's on fire and his wife's being murdered, so I just took his coloring to be a mix of oh it's a flashback and oh it's it's a lighting thing from the fire. 
I mean, that's a possibility, but, like, he doesn't have any of the, the tattoos at that point either. So it may have been something along the lines of, like, you know, he went for, like, a full-on body transformation and had himself, like, colored purple to blend in with the night. Well, you know, he's an alien, so for all we know, his race starts out one color and finishes life another color. You know? <laughs> It was three fingers. He lost three fingers. Yeah. And and yet he still wanted to pick the ring up with that hand. That's <laughs> Yeah. Do you think they tried a little too hard to make Ash seem badass in this thing? You know, part of me says yes, but I think part of me it's also kind of like, at this point, he's just so jaded with life. You know, and he's acting all cool and collected. Up until the point where, like, okay, you're the one that actually, you know, killed my wife. Now I'm kind of going to kill you. Well, like, I'm looking at the page where, I guess it's two pages before he gets his fingers chopped off. You know, the vampire, like, he's, he already recognized the vampire, and the vampire recognized him, and he's taunting Ash. And Ash is just being all like, yeah, I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. And then he just freaking bitch slaps the vampire, and the vampire just has this look on his face like, what the hell did he just do? <laughs> and I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a song just waiting to happen. Bitch slap a vampire. There should be a garage band named that. <laughs> I might look for show music for this episode by typing that in. <laughs> <laughs> bitch slapped a vampire. I'll probably find one. And the whole, like, when the vampire is begging for mercy, that was a little too over the top for me. Yeah, no, I, I bought it. Because, you know, it just, it, it worked with it. Now, about the last panel of this. First, I really like how sad Ash looks. Yeah. Like, he did he did what he set out to do. He avenged his wife. He did all that. He was done and ready to move on, but he can't because this is his life now. And you could you get that realization from that expression on his face. Yeah. And are we to take it from that shadow on the building that the girl he saved is a monster too? Oh. Oh. So I remember even the first time I read this years ago, thinking like, well, if she was, why didn't she like? kill the vampires. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, because, like, she seems, like, she seems really creepy. Especially, like, the smile on her face after he just freaking killed three vampires. You saved me. I couldn't just leave you. Like, no. No, if there's three vampires and one dude that's trying to fight them off, you basically run as fast as you can and hope that that dude was enough to fill them up. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you know, like, I was trying to figure out, like, what the shadows were supposed to be, but that makes a lot of sense, because she did seem real creepy. I guess it's, like, maybe it's supposed to be some kind of commentary on innocence in a big, scary universe, like... That works. Okay, so, so next up, next up was my favorite story. Ah, I thought you might like this one. Oh, this is, oh, this is so good. We have, uh... Green Lantern, Barin. Now, Barin is a giant, kind of like a, like a slug creature. Yeah, slug, snail, yeah. yeah. I guess snail would probably be closer. His battery is kind of like a snail shell. I love that. Yeah, his lantern symbol was is like a, a merge of the Green Lantern symbol, like with the, the snail curve going inwards on the round part. Really cool design. Basically, this uh, this Green Lantern is charged with uh, his sector. is not really much of a sector. It's the gates of hell. This is a Green Lantern who guards literally the gates of hell. No pressure. I I mean like he's just you know he's he stopped aging, but the story goes that the the Guardians kind of like stopped his aging when he was old. So now he's got, like, this eternal struggle fighting off demons every day. Like, every morning, the demons, like, try and break through the gates. So every morning he has to go out and, you know, fight them off. So he's, you know, he's an old snail creature. He's got, like, this giant crazy battle axe and his, his Green Lantern ring. 
and he just, you know, fights demons all day long. Until finally, like, there's no more demons to fight, and he goes to sleep for, you know, the, the night, and the next day he does it all over again. And, like, you know, it's just like this this horrible struggle. You know, he was, he, he enlisted in the army when he was really young, and, you know, he just kept on moving up through the ranks. And, you know, like, he, he, he'd always be fighting these battles for the honor, and because he knew that it was right. But now, like, he's been doing this for so long, guarding the gates of hell. You know, it's just, it's, it's more like a torment. You know, this is his, his eternal damnation, guarding these, these gates. And, you know, like, it's just this tale of him fighting, fighting this fight. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know, the fever appears to be ebbing. And all of a sudden, they're in this room on Oa, and it's a couple of guardians talking to Green Lantern Bodica, and they're basically explaining how this this guy Barin was selected to be a Green Lantern, but he was too young and he wasn't experienced enough, and because of it, he was caught in an ambush, and you know he he got really badly hurt and got put in a coma. And so, like, he's not actually a Green Lantern, supposedly. He's just in this coma, fighting this battle in his head every day as the fever comes and goes. And, like, you know, they wonder, it's like, well, you know, if only we had given him the ring later on in his life, maybe he would have gotten more experience. And then they close with, it's, you know, it's back in his mind again. And, uh, you know, another day is dawning. And... He's just fighting the fight all over again, fighting demons in his head. Yeah, there's like no end to the the symbolism and the the parallels and the connections you can make with this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's trapped in his own personal hell, which is literally what's going on in his head, which is representative of his state of mind because he's in a coma. He he he's like like even though he's still young, in his mind, he's been living out an entire lifetime where he wishes he was young, even though he still is, but he doesn't know it because, he, again, he's in a coma. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's like he's he's giving himself exactly what he's always wanted, but then it's turning out to be too much of a good, a good thing. What you call it? This, uh, this one, this, this story was written by James Robinson. Yeah, and anyone who hasn't liked James Robinson's recent works, find this issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is tremendous. Uh, this is so good. You know, I, I was reading it, and I mean, aside from the fact that like the artwork is fantastic, I Kirk Van Warmer did the pencils. I, I this is like probably one of my favorite, you know, visually stunning Green Lantern stories ever. This is just it's brilliant looking. It's demons. It's alien Green Lantern. It's you know, it, it doesn't have. Oh, you know, it's not supposed to look like anything in particular, and yet the outcome is, like, completely natural, and this is how it should look. These are the best panel borders I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. This is, like, on par with Fables. Yeah, it, it has, like, like every panel, Some sometimes every page looks like it's got, like, a museum frame around it. That's extremely detailed, extremely stylized with all this creepy stuff. Like, whether it be plants or symbols or monsters or whatever. It's like you're reading this... Like, like if they, if somebody decided to do a comic where they just make a series of paintings, put them in decorative frames, and set them up on a wall in the form of a printed comic page, that's what this is like. So, so now I'm, I'm reading this, this issue, and I'm kind of wondering... If if it is all just in his head. How do you mean? Well, uh, at one point they say, you know, the reason that he was able to, to do this, to guard the gates of hell, it's a mixture of arcane lore and the Guardian's alien science empowering him, while at the same time taking his life and sending him to the netherworld. I, you know, it's like, part of me almost kind of wonders if, Maybe the Guardians are just kind of like giving Budika a cover story 
and that, you know, in actuality, while his body is being taken care of on Oa, he is still very much mentally projecting himself, is guarding the gates of hell as a Green Lantern. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of like that idea. I do, too. I think it's it's a little... Like, if that's what they're going for, it's way too subtle. Right. Which makes me think it's not what they're going for, but it could be. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't... You, you have to kind of read into it and kind of, like, you know, jump to a conclusion to to see that as a possibility. But, you know, by the same token, I think it's it's a much more poetic ending for the character. I think it's poetic no matter how you slice it. Because, I, mean, I mean, he's he's living his life and realizing his nightmare at the same time, even though he's not. Right. It's a more valiant ending, if you look at it like it actually is happening. It's just that nobody else can know of it. Yeah, no, I think they were going for tragic. It would keep in line with, like, every other story in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there is, there is one one thing to kind of to confirm what I'm thinking, but we'll get to that later. All right. And um, now what do you think of the choice, the coloring? Ch- I don't know if it's a coloring choice or whatever, to have, like, almost every time he uses his ring, instead of coloring these solid objects or anything, you just get, like, a green outline, and that's what the constructs are. Like, oh. That partially answered my question. <laughs> Oh, I see. Because, like, when he's swinging in his axe, they've got, like... like uh, I'm looking at the page after the two-page spread, where he's swinging his axe, and you you got the pair of lines coming off his hand, and that's the ring shooting somebody. And on the next page, the top panel, he's actually making a shield there. Right, yeah. And then on the bottom panel, he's sending out, like, pincers and claws and stuff. But it's just... It's like the framework without filling it in at all. In a story where everything else looks so good, I feel like that just kind of dropped the ball. It doesn't really look good to me. Especially with that shield scene, it just looks confusing. Because, like, you have to kind of look at it for a a minute before you realize, oh, he's making a solid object to block that swipe. Well, you know, I didn't even catch it. Unless that's, like, to somehow symbolize that his constructs are, like, hollow and invisible. Hmm, I don't see the point in that. In any case, I loved it. Yes, it was very good. Alright, should we go to the really effed up one? (laughs) Oh man, yeah, this is... Oh boy. Alright, this is like... uh, Who who wrote this one? This was by... John Skip and Craig Spether, with art by Matthew Jorgensen. And, like, you gotta read this thing, because it is like... It's (laughs) real. it's... How long is this? One, two, three, four, five. This is 13 pages. You're going to feel like you read a full issue. <laughs> and it is just so insanely... And I'm not saying that's bad. But it, there's, a lot of de- there's a lot of information in here. And it certainly helps set the stage. Cause, uh, like, cause I think the one, the one complaint people have about anthologies is, well, how can you really get into the characters? Or how can you really care about a story that's so short? Or whatever. <laughs> and that's... Like, this gets rid of that. Alright, so you got this Green Lantern. His name is... Are we saying Araya? I was thinking more like Aria. Aria? Okay, that works. So, alright. This is going to be extremely paraphrased. But <laughs> alright, he gets the ring. And his things start out well enough. Alright? Kind of like Hitler went to art school. The system he lives in, there's three inhabited planets... You know, they, they all have problems with each other. They fight a lot. He decides he wants to quell the fighting by uniting those three worlds. And, you know, that's that's good. That's good. He should be doing that. That's his job. <laughs> and, you know, he goes to one race, and they're all cool with it because they think he's God, which, which should be red flag number one. Yeah. Then the second race, the second planet he goes to, they're like, screw you, hippie. Then they just start shooting him with their spaceships. And this race is, you know, their natural skin tone is yellow. Uh, so they figure out really quick that, oh, he can't affect yellow, so they make all their weapons and stuff yellow. Things just kind of escalate, because he starts... 
he starts because yeah, yeah he starts building an army. Uh, he I think he taps the the race that thinks he's God for that, and they start making these you know ground and air military strikes at the other planet. And you think, okay, you know what? They have to figure out a way around this military the, this military resistance. Of their, it's, it's for the good of Earth. It's, it'll be okay. They haven't gone too far yet. They haven't gone too far yet. Wait, 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 wait. Now, you say they haven't gone too far yet, but at this point in the story, he's already, like, tortured his brother for, like, telling people that the yellow people, you know are going to fight back. Oh, see, I kind of skipped over that. Because when you get to the part where he builds the Paradise Work Camps, (laughs) (laughs) the brother thing just kind of loses any, like, teeth it had to it. (laughs) So, yeah, he he creates a military foothold on that, uh, the planet of yellow people, and, well, he he makes some, uh, what are they, weapons manufacturing plants that pollute the atmosphere, and then creates these work camps to stick all the native people in, and and you know <laughs> things are things are going. Wait, 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 wait. Now you also kind of glossed over the fact that when they're in these work camps, he's tearing their wills from their bodies. Oh, was that in? Was that there already? Yeah, it's like it, it, while they're in the uh, the work camps, he's taking all of their willpower. And you know, using that to like you know charge up his power battery. Oh, while well, they're in the reformation chambers. <laughs> <laughs> so continue. You know everything's everything's good. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah, he he wins on that planet, but meanwhile the planet that thinks he's god is starting to get uneasy. So he's got to figure out what to do about that. It's already overextended everybody. And there's just this, like, little resistance group, this, like, pocket of people that are, that are, like, ideally trying to rise up against him, but they don't know what the hell to do. So, oh, God. (laughs) They basically, one of them volunteers, well, this young woman volunteers to basically get captured and, like, God. Yeah. Yeah, now this how, is... How do we, how do, we do this? How okay. do we do this and okay. not like, offend people? You this, do it. This this is rough. Um, basically, okay. It, it's a woman who they know that he's going to go for, shall we say. And he does go for her. And uh, basically, while he's asleep... She, with her yellow skin, is able to take his Green Lantern ring off, and she doesn't know what she's going to do, so she just kind of eats the ring. Now, it's a really large ring because, you know, it's accommodating to fit his hand, which is like a a huge hand. So, like... His hand is the size of her head. Yeah. Well, it's bigger, actually. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because most most people's hands are the size of their heads. I thought it was the size of your heart. Is that your fist is the size of your heart? Yeah, that's probably. That, that's what it is. But your outstretched hand is the same size as your face. I'll check in front of a mirror when we're done. You do do that. So she swallows this giant ring, and it's like tearing at like the tissue in her throat. This is like this is a totally messed up issue. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And so, like, now this this ring is stuck inside her body, and, like, they'll never be able to tell because she's got yellow skin. They'll never be able to, like, will it out of her or anything like that. So, you know, they're like, where is it? Where is it? And, like, they're torturing her. And she's, like, incriminating other people, you know, who have no idea who she is, what she does, just to, you know, kind of create a little more unrest in the... uh in the government or, you know, the, the ruling that this guy is doing. It's weird, though. He's, as soon as she implicates one guy, he kills that guy and, like, ten other people just in case. Yeah, yeah. So he sends, they send off this girl to one of the uh, paradise camps where she runs into her, her husband. 
he also was in the resistance and, you know, he was apparently fully on board with the plan to, uh, get her to go for the guy to get the ring off his finger. Totally messed up. They both get killed and, uh, they're just like, you know, hanging out on these like giant mass graves, which kind of looks like the wall of China. You should mention like, the reason they got killed was because two of the guards had a bet over whether their particular caliber of energy rifle could cut a body in half. Yeah. Yeah, so, so now they're, they're, they're dead. They're dead, mass graves. Looks like the wall of China of dead bodies. And, you know, Aria, this despot ruler, is, uh, just kind of like going through the, the, the remains or whatever. He's always searching for his ring, you know, because now he doesn't have the energy to, you know, hold on to everything. We should throw in, like, he enjoys touring, well, Paradise 1, so I guess there's a bunch of these places. But he he absorbs the stench of his enemies' bodies. It makes him feel better. Yeah. And, you know, all he has left is his power battery, and he can't access the energy in it. But it contains the willpower of a billion people. All those people that he had, like, stripped their willpower from, a billion people's willpower. So now the battery is kind of, like, just on display, being carried around. The dead bodies, you know, like, basically right next to it. And so this ring that, you know, this, uh, this yellow woman had swallowed... It, like, I guess gets charged up just because it's in the vicinity of the battery. And, you know, now all of a sudden she has the power of Green Lantern, takes her revenge. <laughs> she, like, she she comes back to life as a zombie, like, reaches into her chest and pulls out the ring and just starts bringing back a ton of other dead people. You know, I, I guess, like, they're kind of, like, using the, uh, you know, the excuse that since the willpowers of these people were captured in the battery, they're able, you know, she's able to access the dead bodies because of that. Yeah, works for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, they take their revenge, they get this bad guy area, um, kill him completely, and... Then her dead husband, also kind of like a zombie, comes up and says, now we're done. And uh, the zombie skeletons, you know, now lifeless, fall to the ground, and, along with the ring. Then a rose grows. That's all better. Yeah. There, there are so many things wrong with this story. Was this the most messed up thing you've ever read? You know, not even because, like, it, it, it's... This story is wrong on, like, multiple levels. I, I mean, like, okay. Like, aside from, like, the, the, the horrific violence and all of the things that they're implying, first off, why would the Guardians allow this? Because this guy is, like, you know, ten times worse than Sinestro, and apparently the Guardians just are not getting involved at all. Just not at all. And, like, on top of that, you know, at the very end, okay, so the ring, you know, is inside her, her dead body, and she's yellow. So, okay, so whatever. You got the yellow thing keeping it in there. After she dies, the ring falls to the ground, and a rose grows up through it. How come it's not seeking out a new a new user? I Wasn't this at a time where, like, because the whole, like, Mogo directs them to go find their own new people thing, that's relatively new. Back in the day, like, a Guardian or another Green Lantern would have to, like, physically bring you a ring. So, like, I don't know if they were flying through space by themselves at this point. How long do you think this guy was doing this? Because, like, it had to have been years. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You don't, you don't like, take over an entire population and build factories that spew out lots and lots of pollutants <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Uh, I gotta say, I read this a long time ago. Can't say I remembered all the genocide and rape. This couple gets married like two weeks before the war, 
and they're like they're like part of the last part of resistance you know it's like seven people in the resistance that's basically it and the guy's like yeah we know that you know we don't want you to do this but you're the only one that can i guess she's basically the only decent looking woman that they have left so they send her to go seduce the uh leader yeah probably like a well it's for the planet you know but yeah yeah this this is a hor- horrific story like the only thing that i thought was cool was that she uses the the ring and like you know her zombie body like she's got the green lantern symbol kind of like etched on her skeleton yeah it's like her rib cage almost realigns to make it <laughs> yeah yeah that was cool it's like a hole where her heart used to be Ooh. We can we can end on like a a slightly higher note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just go go for this. So you know, Alan and Torquemada have been flying through space. Well, you know, you know, the setup for this this whole issue was that you know, while they were flying to the Star Heart, Torquemada was telling Alan these stories. It's that kind of thing. And they finally arrived to the Star Heart. And it is just freaking the hell out. It is getting loose. It's changing. It's just it's it's just go, going all sorts of crazy. And they have to contain it before the magic gets out, and it causes like random, just just random chaos all over the universe, like in the instances here. So they they enter the Star Heart, and they find a female character known as the Sentinel, who was charged with. I guess keeping the star heart in check, making sure this exactly this doesn't happen. Yeah. And you're, they're like, "Holy crap! Who did this to the Sentinel?" And then they turn around and see like this weird. They see the star heart who's taking like physical form. He looks kind of like somebody cosplaying as a dragon, like very non-threatening. But you know what? That's, it's a giant like dragon person. That's very threatening. Oh, he looks stupid. He has fire coming out of his belly button. That's not fear-inducing. That is, like, a reason to take an antacid. Now, now the next the next scene, and, you know, this is... I, I'm going to stop you in your uh, synopsis. Because you have a scene where five different images of things going on in different locations. One of them is the story that just finished with uh, the Green Lantern area and the zombies taking over. The next one is of Ash taking out the vampire. And the next one is of Green Lantern Barin, and he's, you know, fighting at the gates of hell. And the Starheart is saying, already trickles of escaped magic careen through the cosmos, banning to life dark and fantastic flames. So I'm thinking that, like, you know, in some way, shape, or form, Barin's story is actually, you know, it's taking on a reality. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that could that actually make sense. Because, I mean, like, we know that Ash's story definitely happened. And, you know, we have no reason to believe why this other, you know, area story hasn't happened. Like, well, my, my, my thing is, like, why would they be showing an image of Barin when it's only happening in his mind? That's interesting. Because that begs the question, you know, are were all of these happening present day? Because the... Because, like, like, you figure, like, okay, if Arya's thing did take years, really the only supernatural part was the very end. So that could have been lined up with all this. Yeah, the, even when they're the guardians are talking to to a Budika, they don't specify like, well, how long has he been in the coma? So he could have like, he like they could have recruited him a week ago and he just fell into the coma. Right. Hmm. Because I think when I initially read that, read a Baron's story, I had thought like, oh, they were checking in on him and he's been there for a while. You know, it could even be that like they found this warrior at this point in time. And, like, by putting him in charge of the Gates of Hell, like, you know, who knows if time actually moves in the same way. It could very well be that, you know, 
like they put him in charge like a week ago and that actually translates to like you know a thousand years in hell's time or maybe maybe it's both maybe it's like maybe he is just straight up in a coma but the random magic of the star heart is doing all sorts of crazy stuff so maybe like it's taken him there you know like maybe it's not the guardians doing it's a possibility too hmm interesting Okay, so back to your synopsis. Yeah. So Alan lunges at the Starheart with no effect. The Starheart fires back by making both Alan and Torquemada see these, like, terrible visions, which which are supposed to kind of break their spirits, you know. Torquemada sees his his assistant, uh, Giselle, yeah, yes, who's walking towards him as a zombie, and, you know, apparently she's dead. And Alan's, Alan's I thought they kind of cheaped out on, because it's just him shirtless in a room with a bunch of chains. Yeah. <laughs> they hit home the whole, like, family, he'll never see them again thing, but at the same time, come on. Yeah. That's not much of a, it's not much of a personal hell, I don't think. So Alan bursts out of his little dream thingy, be, probably because it was a particularly weak one. Yeah. And he tr- fires up his ring, and forms probably the dumbest 90s suit of armor ever and goes taking the fight to the Starheart again. Which, and you know, the Starheart's all like, like he's, he's continuing to play psychological games. He's like, oh, you can't hurt me. Uh, you should stop fighting anyway, though. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's not hurting me, but, you know, stop. Ow, it hurts. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's... Actually, this is something I'm just noticing now. He's using, like, the same exact maneuver on the star heart where he's like he's tearing him apart with chains now and you know alan thinks he's won and it's all great until he gets like impaled through the chest because like you can't physically kill the star heart like that and then this is what i thought was like weird okay well kind of weird but kind of appropriate so alan thought he won then he gets impaled through the chest by the star heart not fatally torquemada he snapped out of it too he comes to help but then Torquemada realizes, oh crap, it's too late. And there's a huge explosion. Some nice little blood drippy panel ink at the bottom there. Yeah. And then Alan wakes up like hours later on an asteroid. And we find out, yeah, yeah, we, they failed. They failed. The Starheart <laughs> got away. And then it's just kind of over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was able to capture some of it in a ball. But most of it got away. Yeah. We failed miserably. Just enough to kill everybody. <laughs> this is really going to mess everything up in the future. The end. Not even like a question mark. Like Ash's story ended with the, the end question mark. <laughs> this one, just the end. <laughs> That's it. Um, Something I glazed over was throughout this part, they had these little sliver vignettes of magical characters throughout the DC Universe noticing what was going on. And, you know, you've got, you got like your standard, you know, lineup of people here. You have the Spectre, Darkseid, Phantom Stranger, I think that's Lord Satanus, I think. I haven't read the Rain and Hell yet. Uh, Etrigan, Doctor Fate, and I think that first one was Raven, because I think she went evil once and became like all like porn starry like that. Raven, you think? Yeah, I think it was Raven. Well, because they say it used to be a hero, but well, the point I wanted to make about it is, like, there's a narrative that continues specifically through these little vignettes Yeah. that I found completely disjointed and, and like, awkward to follow, because <laughs> you get, you get, okay, you get the Raven one, and then you get a page worth of Alan and, and, uh... Torquemada content. Then you get two more, and then it's another page worth of the, the, these guys. And then it's two more, and it's another page worth, and then two more. Meanwhile, the the text in all of the, all like six or seven of these things is telling one continuous sentence. Is it so like? Yeah. Like they could should have just done like a page or two of these like together. And like my my thoughts on that, like I I totally agree with that. Um. But it's like, aside from the fact that, it, you know, it seems disjointed by that, 
it's like completely meaningless. It's like, oh shoot, we we need a, a way to fill a third of each page. So let's just like draw mystical characters and have like a saying that means absolutely nothing, you know? It's like, oh, you know, they feel the ripples, but before they can do anything, it's over, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess they were trying to make it seem bigger, and I kind of laughed at the fact that, like, like you could look at the Spectre and you read his part, it's like, yeah, the Spectre was about to do something about this, but, uh, too late. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a picture of, uh, Darkseid, just kind of like, you know, standing there. It's... Yeah, he's just standing there, you know, Phantom Stranger. He's just standing there with his hands in his pockets. Well, that's what the Phantom Stranger does. What was it, uh, Blaze? Blaze on the page before him? She's sitting in her chair. Yeah, the, de- the Demon and uh, Fate, they're, they're like the, the two that actually look like they, they might be willing to do something. But they don't. Nobody does anything. Dr. Fate's just hanging out being a girl, which... You know, if you don't know DC history that well, but you know Dr. Fate from the cartoons, that'll catch you off guard. (laughs) Uh, True enough. Yeah, but seriously, look at his, like, battle armor. Look at this thing. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) I I don't know. I guess, I, I don't know, like, maybe he was looking to do something that was inspired by his costume. Because, like, that's really the only excuse I could see for, like, that collar-type thing. Yeah, but I don't... Like, the fact that he's wearing armor doesn't even end up mattering. All he has to start with is a mace he makes out of green energy anyway. (laughs) And and it ends with him getting impaled through the chest. So apparently the armor didn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, it, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't do anything. It's like... I'm going to use magic that you are against you. (laughs) (laughs) Starheart is made up of Starheart magic. You have access to a tiny little portion of that magic, and you think you're going to be able to defeat it. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get more, like, tag team with Torquemada. Um, Do you think this is where Alan got the Sentinel name from? I think that's probably a uh a logical idea. I, I don't I don't remember reading the uh the three part story, the was it Heart of Darkness? Well that came way after this. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's true. But I, I like that that would probably shine a lot more information on the whole sentinel idea. Well I'm sure we'll read that eventually. Yeah. So are we done with this issue? Um I think so. I mean, I think it's kind of appropriate that the good guys lose since it's a Halloween story. Now, I, I don't know about you. I got, like, a huge science versus religion vibe from this whole thing. Science versus religion? Yeah, because it's like... Like, well, when I say religion, I'm thinking, in, like, all, I'm, like, all-encompassing, like, like spiritual stuff, mystical stuff. So it's, it's basically, like, science versus the supernatural, which is kind of, like... It's, it's part of that. Because, I mean, you've got, like, the Guardians who are all about order, and not just order, but order they make themselves, who and, like, their minions, who are the Green Lanterns, who wield power through these pieces of technology. Mm. And what's every story about? It's about someone armed with technology trying to suppress or get rid of, like, some sort of supernatural force. Or being, like, taken out by a supernatural force. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I could buy that. And if you, like, combine that with the fact that, like, the Guardians themselves are kind of gods, it's almost like, I don't want to say, like, replacing religious belief with, like, the faith of science or something, but, like, like I don't know. We have a couple people on our forum who are, like, big into spiritual analysis and, like, this <laughs> kind of thing. I, I want to hear what they think about this. Sounds good. Okay. So we'll, uh... Oh, and... What? Oh, one last thing. I just want to touch on, like, like the cover for this whole issue. This is freaking awesome. <laughs> like, who did... Like, where does it say? Does it say who did it? Is it Tony Harris? Yeah, Tony Harris cover. Yeah. 
it's that famous shot of Ash from the back, like he's turning to see behind him. He's like, he's got his ring shimmering. You get like the great shot of the back of his jacket with like that, that cross with the Green Lantern emblem in it in front of this giant spooky looking door with a monster face door knocker. And it just says, unlock the door to fear. It's just, <laughs> it's just a, such, such a nice cover. It's so good. Absolutely. It's awesome. Okay. So are we good now? I think we're good. Okay. And we'll take a quick break and come back with the close of the show. and we're back and uh shall we cl- close out the show there dan what well, let's do it let's do it um so how's that green lantern game going i still oh, haven't jumped in really oh it's it's so good uh team lantern cast is currently number one we're at the top position and you know a lot of people are joining up it, it's it's really it, it's a fun game I mean, heck, anything that's going to promote Green Lantern like that, we're all for. If you haven't checked it out yet, then become our friend on Facebook. We have uh, a link right there to the game. And check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, for that matter, become our friends on Facebook. You know, we want we want as many friends as we can possibly get. We've been getting a lot in the last few days. We have. We definitely have. We are almost at 100. We, uh, we really want the 100. And, uh, let's, let's go, folks. Make it happen. You really want the hundred. I like seeing you squirm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the willpower in action. I want to see them make it happen. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get a lot more people out of the Halloween episode. Which, yeah. you, you know, I just realized just right, just this instant. What? <laughs> like, oh, good. Now the Halloween episode is over. We can go back to what we usually do. Talk about zombies. <laughs> when don't we do a Halloween episode? <laughs> now we'll cover the story arc with the monsters from space that throw up blood acid at you. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, speaking of zombies, next week we'll be back 
We'll be talking with Chad Bokelman, who is uh, spearheading the Green Lantern documentary project type thing. That? <laughs> Speaking of zombies, we're talking to Chad Bokelman. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we'll also be talking about Blackest Night Batman. Oh, okay. God. I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I wanted to bring them both up. I, I kind of did it in the r- wrong order. <laughs> if I had done it in the right order, that really would have worked as a transition. Well, it's we're keeping it now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, Dan, if they want to contact us, what do they do? <laughs> um, they can write us at um, lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh or our individual email accounts. Since Jim gave me my password, I can check it now. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. <laughs> I'm Dan at LanternCast.com. He's Jim at LanternCast.com. Jason, our program director, is Jason at LanternCast.com. Uh, you can go to our forum on TheComicForums.com and talk to us and each other. It'll be great. Uh, what else we got? You can go to lanterncast.com. That's got a link to our Facebook page. It's got a link to our message board. It's got our gallery. It's got our bios. It's got all the episodes. You can check us out on iTunes. We got all our episodes on there. You can leave us a review. We'd love that. We'd love, love, love iTunes reviews. I hear it helps people find the shows. Yes. It's just really cool. So if you want to do it, that'd be awesome. And uh, I think that's it. And I, I just want to also thank, like, a lot the the people that uh, have sent us emails. Uh, we'll be getting to that in a future episode. But you know who you are. Thank you. They're awesome. We appreciate them. We read them all. Yes. Repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so long, folks. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were we doing? <laughs> That's what this episode was about. <laughs> Night, folks. What I ever have to say Words of shame Words I should never say again Why'd you ever have to read between the lines? Creating stories that should have been all left behind Why'd you ever have to hear my voice?